Well, good evening. Super excited that you're here tonight, and uh, I'm uh, beyond excited for me personally to be able to share tonight. Uh, Wednesday nights is a big night for us, as I shared at the beginning, and it's kind of where Journey got its start, just up the road off of Carmen. There's a house on Tiffany Court, and Jeremy and Jeff Foss and myself and Jeffrey Barnett and a few others started gathering, and um, it's been exciting to see what God has done in the church, and Wednesday night is really this, the, the essence of journey. It's, this is really who we are. Even though Sunday's different than Wednesday, if you haven't been on Sundays, Sunday's a big celebration, and it's, it's, it's pretty powerful. I think Wednesdays is really who we are, and we're excited about that. And, and really what I want to tell you is I believe that we're in a season of growing closer to God Especially on Wednesdays, we're opening up our hearts and becoming disciples. If you don't know the discipleship path of journey, this is the one that I use on a regular basis. At some point, you believe in Jesus Christ. You say, you come before God, you stand up. Hopefully, you did more than sign a card, but you come up and you accept Jesus and say, I believe in you. I'm going to put my life in your hands, and I'm going to receive that, and I'm going to get that, that, that blessing to go to heaven. And so that's the first part. And then one day, I think Marlene really hit it home to me tonight when she said, you know what? I've been a believer my whole life, but I started to follow recently. And, and when you start to fall, follow, not fall, there's fruit on those trees. All of a sudden, for once in your life, there's new things that are coming out of you and in you. And then what happens is, after you've started to follow, then the idea is like, hey, do you want to walk with me? Let's walk with Jesus. And you start, and I start answering questions, and together we collaborate, and, and the glory of God starts to expand. And that's the purpose. That's the discipleship. At one point, you believe, and you can be a young child and believe in Jesus. Like I accepted Jesus at 14. But I really didn't start following Jesus until I was 30 because I'm stubborn, you know. And so actually it was probably more than 33. 30 I was really bad. So actually got to check my math a little bit. But I'm excited. So uh, tonight really I want you to, we sit at the tables so that you can be in a discipleship group on Wednesday nights. We ask, answer questions and, and we talk about it a little bit. So it's just not a speaker, it's you connecting with other people. So tonight hopefully you'll get a lot out of that. I want to start with a question. And this is actually a sad one. Who's ever been robbed in here before? This table's never been robbed? What car are you guys at? Anybody have a car right now? We can go get a couple people and take some stuff, just so you can feel that. Um, I've been robbed a couple times in my life, and just kind of think about that for a moment. What does it feel like when you've been robbed? It's like, I'm afraid. Like, you first walk in, it's like, where's my stuff? And then you get kind of this personally violated, who's rummaging through my stuff? How dare them? You know, and you start wondering, and, and then after that, you get into this, I'm angry, and then you're like, is anything safe on earth? You know, they broke my window, they broke into the house, whatever they did, is anything safe? And you start having this fearful mindset after you've been robbed. Well, at the end of last week's message, Matthew concluded with uh, John 10.10. It's one of my favorite verses to use in, in, in a di discipleship class. Uh, format when you're sitting one-on-one. -on -one. one of my favorite things to do is talk to someone one-on-one -on -one and talk about Jesus. And this verse, John 10, 10, is really a discipleship verse because it says that a thief comes in the night and it wants to steal, kill, and destroy. 
But Jesus says, I have come to give life, and that life to the fullest, or life to the full. Now, think about, I want you guys just to close your eyes for a moment. I want you to get this picture. What is the most precious thing that is, uh, is in your life? The most precious. And we all know God and Jesus. That's the third great answer. If that's not your most precious thing, you've got some issues that you need to deal with, and maybe we'll deal with them tonight. But think about like a daughter or, or, or a parent or something that is so valuable. Your kids, your, you know, maybe it's a job. I don't know. Just think about the most valuable thing, a little baby. And then listen to this verse. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Think about that for a second. The enemy in this world, his mission is to take what's the most valuable in your life and separate God with you from that. So that you and God have some distance. Even though the Bible says there's nothing that can separate us. The thief comes in and wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And to create separation so that you and God don't feel close. So for me, I've got a beautiful wife. He wants to try and always get in the middle of our marriage. I've got two or three beautiful girls and two are off the college and God wants to create fear in those two. And my high schooler, God wants to create fear in that so that there's separation between us so that I'm not as connected to God and neither is she. The enemy wants to destroy those things that are most valuable. But God says, if you put me first and you believe in me and you start to follow me and you start living in a discipleship path, that I will give you life and life to the fullest. What does that mean? Does it mean that I'm going to have Lamborghinis and helicopters and, you know, possibly? If you do, I'm free on Sundays after for football. But if he doesn't, what it means is that even though I might not have the things of this world, I'm going to have this comfort and peace and a fullness of life. I'm going to have a beautiful relationship with my wife. I'm going to have a dynamic relationship where me and my girls can talk about almost anything. They get into the boy thing. They're like, I don't want to talk to you, Dad. So, but fullness is where we can have this great conversation and life to the fullest. Jesus wants to protect that. I want to ask a question around the table here, and then we'll get into tonight's scripture. Why does Jesus use allegories or what we would call parables. I think we have the definition of allegory for those of you that need it. Why does Jesus use allegories or parables? I want you just to spend two minutes. I'm literally going to time you because I have two other important questions. But go around the tables. We would also call them parables. Answer this question and then we'll get started. So go ahead and go. Okay, I I really want to go quick on this because I want to give you longer time. 30 seconds and then let's wrap it up. It's a pretty easy answer. So the definition of an allegory is a story or poem, a picture that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning. And some of the synonyms are parable, analogy, metaphor, symbol. 
These are things that Jesus uses. Why? What do you got, sir? Maybe thinking a lot harder on whatever Amen. Anybody else? What do you guys? You guys seem like you had a robust 15-second conversation. Oh, pretty deep, but I like that. It's good. What do you got? A little bit louder. I couldn't hear it. Yeah, relates to life better. What do you got, John? Did you look up on the internet or something? Uh. So, go ahead. Yes, sir. What's your name? Keith. Keith, thanks for coming. Amen. So, and you, you, yeah, go ahead. I mean, this is, you got to speak louder. We're not going to get anything out of it. good. I like all those answers. I think they're great. Uh, we did a series a couple of months, uh, a couple of years ago throughout the whole summer, and we did these things called parables, and we walked through them, and one of the answers was really that speaking parables separates what we call the sheep from the goat. It really allows you to understand more. When I first read parables 16 years ago, I had no idea what many of them meant. I could understand the, verbi- the verbiage because I took English. But what did they really mean deep inside my soul? I didn't have no idea. But listen, over time, the way the gospel works is first you believe, then you start to intake the word of God, and more starts to unfold so you all of a sudden understand more. What you might not know the first day or the first week or the first year, the more that you intake, the more you will understand and more than comprehend. The allegory says that it's a hidden message. There's a message in there, and only the sheep can really find it. It's really a way to separate the sheep from the goat. Those that are living a goat lifestyle are going to look at this parable and go, it's ridiculous, it's nonsense, it makes no sense. But those that are sheep are eating it like it's the hand of God feeding them great food. That's why they use that. And so tonight we're going to talk about the shepherd. I am the good shepherd, and I want to spend most of the time tonight talking about that. And then at the end, we'll talk a little bit. We're going to John 10, uh, verse 11 to 21, but I'm going to spend the lion's share of it in the Good Shepherd to really understand what that means for us as a church. So if you're able to stand, what we do is the Word of God is powerful. You know, it's better than a coffee cup holder. And if you open it up and you start to utilize it, I promise you the Word of God will start to feed you just like maybe the food you had for dinner tonight. And the blessing is it won't add calories. It's more like the keto diet. But it will give you so much more than, than any calorie that you can ever have. Is Keto Kim in here? No, she's teaching, huh? Let's, let's read. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own a sheep. So when he, when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. The wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. 
At this moment, we should just pause because I really want you to open up your heart and say, what do I know about the Good Shepherd? And really, it's not here tonight to go, I know more about the Good Shepherd than you or anybody in this room. It's what does the Father want to teach you about or what does he want to bring out to light in your heart about this Good Shepherd? So let's just spend a moment or two praying. And here's the thing about church. The guy that's teaching should not be the one filled with the Spirit all of us should be filled with the Spirit so we can all hear the Word of God and watch it work boldly in our small groups. So let's pray. Father, we come before you. We're asking you to continue to burn deep within us. Speak boldly. Grow us so that we can follow and disciple others. That we can start a fire of your love in this group and move through all of Ventura County and beyond. Lord, through this mighty group of people, Lord, I ask that you do a great work in us tonight. So that we understand your holiness and how we can live that holiness and show others your love. Father, we submit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. I want to spend just a few minutes about the hired hand. Some would say that this hired hand is the pastors, and the pastors really are the hired hand, which in some instances is true. But in this particular case, you would see what we call false teachers or false prophets. They're more interested in money and buildings and things instead of growing people in the kingdom of God. You can look all across our country and all across our world, and you can see people preaching from the word of God and from other forums of, of spiritual stuff. And they are not interested in people, but they sure got a lot of great things, buildings and cars and boats and wonderful things, and here we are talking about false teachers. Now, there are some pastors, there are some elders, there are some church leaders that are just like this, but that's not what we're really talking about here. The hired hand, even though I'm a hired hand of God, I know what this church was founded on. I don't know if you guys know the story, but I'll give you the 30-second rendition, but for two and a half years, most everybody on the staff didn't make any money. There was one moment that we were given for two and a half years more money than we actually received. Because pastoring is not about money. We would do this even if there wasn't money. Now, I'll be honest, I make a, a, a great wage to serve the kingdom of God, and I'm grateful for that. But I know that I did it for two and a half years, and I know every pastor that's in this church has served for a couple of years without making any wage. And we do that so you can just get the, that burning feeling of, man, I really love this because I'm not making anything out of it. And I've learned a long time ago on a mission trip, there's nothing like serving the glory of God for nothing and putting all of it down one day and coming back and going, man, that was fun. And it's not about money. That's how the, that's how the kingdom of God works. So that's the hired hand. There's a lot of people that I would say a, a, a real good pastor, shepherd, someone that cares for the flock really is invested and involved. And you can see some that aren't invested and they don't care and they're not interested in the flock. They're interested in usually person and self and other things and, and growing things instead of dealing with people. And I'm excited to say that a lot of that happens, uh, doesn't happen here. We're interested in growing people and the people we have. We're not focused on just growing people that, uh, that aren't here yet. So I'm excited about that. Today the good shepherd is an allegory. It's a, it's a parable. It's something that we need to understand. It makes sense. We understand shepherding, but we don't have shepherding in our area. We have fruit trees and we have strawberries and we have cilantro. We have those great days of onion slicing, right? When gills harvest, you can tell it's an onion day or week, right? You can smell it. 
We understand crops in this area. Some people in the city of L.A. might not understand it as well. So if Jesus was teaching, he would use a lot of farming here because we could smell it. He would talk about the cilantro harvest and the onion harvest and how fruit trees can last for hundreds of years and produce crop year after year. Lemons can produce three or four times a year depending on the crop. He would speak just like that, like our friend said, as an, al uh, an allegory like the rabbis would to explain and to make sense and to relate to people. Here, he's using the good shepherd because back in those days, there was a lot of shepherds. They call them Bedouins in, in, in Jerusalem. There were a lot and they would, they, would, they would take their sheep and they would um, move them all around the area and they understood shepherding and that's why he used the good shepherd. Now, from John 10, verses 1 to 21, there's a couple of different uh, allegories or parables in this story. And so I just kind of want to break them down. I think I put them up on the screen so that you can make sense. But here's what it says. In, in the King James and the ESV, in one portion it says the door. Another portion, Matthew read, says the gate. But here's what it says. In verse 1 uh, of, of 10, John 10, it says, verse 1 says, Jesus is the door to the sheepfold. Jesus is the gate. Last week we talked about it and it was this the gate. Well, what that means is Israel is the sheepfold and Jesus was and is to lead, lead the people out of Israel or out of Judaism into the, 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 uh, the uh, connection or that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The idea of Israel being the sheepfold, they were, they were stuck in this law. And even today, Christian churches are stuck in this law. So Jesus is the door into the sheepfold. The second one is he is the door to the sheep. This is in verse 7. You see, Jesus is the way or the door to those that have been excommunicated. If you remember what we talked about for about three or four weeks in this uh, Wednesday night, we talked about the blind men for a couple of weeks. The blind men at the end of chapter 9 is excommunicated from Judaism. So much so that his parents don't want to even be a part of him. They're like, he's not really my kid. We, he can speak for himself. We're not about that because excommunication from Judaism, and from other religions was damaging. You know, Christianity is one of the few religions, if not the only religion, doesn't excommunicate. That doesn't mean that we don't kick people out of churches. I unfortunately had to be a part of that a couple times. That's not fun. But they can go to another church and start over. But if you're in Judaism, if you're in Mormonism, in Jehovah's, if you're a Muslim, if you're in other religions, you can get excommunicated in the society. All the churches will be against you. Christianity is different because it's really not a religion in the way that man made. It's a relationship. It's about you and God one-on-one. -on -one. And Jesus is the door to that relationship. And that's what we see here. And they're still communicating about this blind man. This blind man that was excommunicated. And that's why he's explaining this. Verse 9, it says Jesus is just the door. He's the door to all mankind, both Jew and Gentile, to bring salvation, to bring restoration, redemption, to bring freedom. He is the doorway. Some of the virgins say gate. He is the gateway, the passage through. And think about this. In this church... If everything goes through me as, as the pastor of this church or one of the pastors of this church, if I, if I have to communicate to five or 600 people and everything has to come through me and go to other people, I'm a bottleneck, right? I will stop the flow of great ministry, and that's why we have a bunch of great leaders in the church. But Jesus intentionally makes a bottleneck in our life, that everybody has to force themselves through that one door 
so that we can have that beautiful freedom and that beautiful relationship and that love. He creates that so that on the other side, when we get into that, more will be revealed in our heart and more will understand from that. And so Jesus is a bottleneck, but it's a healthy, powerful, life-giving, life-to-the-fullest bottleneck. And the last part is the good shepherd. Now, to understand the good shepherd, you need to go to Ezekiel. And this is more of a Jeremy Case thing. Jeremy Case is the great theologian here. He reads like it just comes out of a, a, a bread and butter of his mouth. And this isn't really me, but I'm going to give it a go. There's about 28 verses in Ezekiel 34 that really explain the good shepherd and the false shepherd. And so I'm just going to read 17 verses Roll with me with this, and if I, uh, if I make a mistake, just know that I'm dyslexic, and it's okay. God forgave me and loves me, and uh, doesn't matter. So here's what it says. This is Ezekiel 34. If you need some homework and want to read through it tonight, this will help you understand the, the shepherds of Israel and the good shepherd. Then this is the message that came from me from the Lord, the Son of Man, prophecy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you shepherds who feed yourselves instead of the flock? Shouldn't you feed your sh their sheep? You drink their milk, wear their wool, butcher the best animals, yet you, your flock starve. You do not take care of the weak. You do not tender to the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away or lost. Instead, you have ruled, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd, and they are easy prey to any wild animals. They have wandered through the mountains and all the hills across the face of the earth, yet no one has gone to search for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, you have abandoned my flock and left them to be attacked by every wild animal. Though you were my, though you were my shepherds, you didn't search for any of my sheep when they were lost." You took care of yourselves and left the sheep to starve. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I now consider these shepherds my enemy. I will hold them responsible for what has happened to my flock. I will take away their right to feed the flock, and I will stop them from feeding themselves. I will rescue the, my flock from their mouths. The sheep will no longer be their prey. And so here you can see this false shepherding that has been happening. And now the, 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 the uh, country of Israel and the Israelites need a savior, and so does the world. And now we talk about the good shepherd. We now talk about the hired hands and those that are just interested in taking care of themselves and feeding themselves. And what happens is religious leaders start to look holier and more powerful than everybody else in the congregation. And that's not what God is about. He's not about anointing me above all of you. He's about having me anoint all of you so that the kingdom of God can be uh, disseminated to all mankind. Different. And that's what's happening. Now we're going to talk about the good shepherd, verse 11. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for the scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day when Jesus died. I will bring them back to their home in their land of Israel among the among the people and the nations, I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the rivers and in the places where people live. Yes, I will give them good pasture land on the hills, the high hills of Israel, and they will lie down in good and pleasant places and feed in the lush pastures of the hill. I myself, that being Jesus, will tend to the sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. 
I will search for my lost ones who have strayed, and I will bring them back home safely. I will bandage the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. I will destroy those who are fat and powerful, and I will feed them. Yes, feed them justice. And this is where it all began. This is why we talked about why allegories or parables. And as for you, my flock, this is what the sovereign Lord says to his people. I will judge between one animal of the flock and the other, separating sheep from goat. We're going to answer that question at the end tonight. Are you living a goat life? Or are you really becoming a sheep or learning to be a great sheep? Here we see the good shepherd really being explained to the fullest. Ezekiel 34 is telling us there's a bunch of false things happening out there and false prophets and even pastors that are leading their sheep astray. And what we would, might even call a good church. And there's also good pastors that are leading their flock and they're focusing on Jesus and only Jesus and building disciples in the kingdom of God and not building a little army within the wall so that they have coffers to do whatever they want to do with, with God's money. Here we see Jesus. He has this relationship with his flock. And there's three types of shepherding relationships that he has. First of all, we see in John 10, 11, that he is the good shepherd. It says, I am the good shepherd, and this is what the good shepherd, this is what a good shepherd would do. He would lay his life down for his flock. That's the first type of shepherding relationship that he has. The second that we will see in, in Jesus' relationship to his flock is what we call the great shepherd. The book of Hebrews was written, written to the Hebrew people of their time. After Jesus died, it was written to convert the Hebrews into a Christian relationship. And the author is trying to communicate to this Hebrew-following, law-abiding Jewish people, here's what Jesus is and here who, here's who Jesus really is. And he tells them that he is the great shepherd. Hebrews 13, 20 says, Now may the God of peace who brought again, who brought again, from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. The great shepherd's job was to die and shed his blood, give us eternal life, and in that, we, as we grow and understand and follow his word, we should be more and more equipped to understand his will for our life so that we can grow and know the good shepherd lies his life down, the, the great shepherd, uh, his body is shed and we receive eternal life and he wants to equip us to do his good work and his will. And then we have the chief shepherd. The apostle Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest at the end writes this book. It's called the General Epistle or a General Letter. And that general letter was to be written and every church that believed in Jesus Christ was to read this letter and, and communicate it. And here's what Peter says about the chief shepherd. Be shepherds of the flock that is under your care. Watch over them, not because you, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to pursue want you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording over those you entrust, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Peter understood who Jesus was. And now at the end, towards 20 or 30 years after Jesus was gone, he's now going, listen, the good shepherd, when I was there, when he was preaching this message, is now the chief shepherd, and all that follow him will receive this crown of glory. 
And we will have this blessing. So not only is the good shepherd a great, uh, a great analogy, the great shepherd helps us, and the chief shepherd is the one coming back to crown us. And those are really the three relationships that we see in Jesus' flock. Now here's the last question, and I promise we will move on, and I'm going to ask one more question. Is how is Jesus in John 1 verse to John 14, John 10, 1 versus John 14, how is he the door or the gate and the sheep together? And this is a really cool part, and I just want to make sure that you understood this, and I'm sure some of you great theologians understand this, but we have a picture of, of, of Jesus being the door and the shepherd. First of all, Jesus, Jesus is the person that's what we call the good shepherd, but he's also the door. He sits at the door and rests at the door, and he never leaves us. Matthew last week talked about if a normal shepherd, what he would do is usher in all the sheep into the pen, and then he goes, hey, Jeremy, you're the next guy shift. You go in and watch the sheep as the, the normal shepherd would go in and maybe eat and sleep for the night. But here Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and I'm the door. I'm going to sit and watch my sheep, and I'm going to protect them for all those that are trying to come in and steal, kill, and destroy the, the flock. So Jesus is the door and the good shepherd. The good shepherd never leaves. He's always with you and always will be with you, and he's here tonight. I want to just go on. I was going to do a question there, but I'm running out of time, so let's just ask this question. Verse 14 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. If you were here last week, Matthew, who gave the message up here, had me and a couple of the pastors in the back, and we spoke on the microphone, and you guys were trying to guess whose voice it was. It was pretty easy uh, to figure out who was who because uh, you guys have all heard our voices a lot and so it was recognizable. But here's the question I want you, and there's a pen and paper at, at your table, and I want to give you some time because this is the most important part. It says, who believes that they're a part of the, the, the sheepfold of Jesus, that they believe they're a sheep? That's great. Not very many. I would believe that all of us that claim Jesus should be saying yes. And it says here in this verse, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. So write down what you know about Jesus right now. Who is Jesus in your life? There's a piece of paper. All you need is one person writing them down. Write down as many as you can in three minutes about who Jesus is. Okay, time's up. That was three good minutes. Now, here's the thing. One of the things I love about our website one of the things that uh, we've worked really hard in is dialing up who is Jesus. I think we have a picture of our website, and I'm actually handing it out, a piece of paper you guys can take home. But uh, if you don't have it, but on our website, I'm not trying to promote Journey. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to show you what Jesus is. And it says, if you go into the section on the top scroll bar, it says, who is Jesus? And here's who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. He was conceived by a virgin. He is the way, the truth, the light. He is the Savior. He defeated death. He rose from the grave. He is the resurrection. He is the hope to the hopeless. He's broken. He's the healer to the broken. He's the light to the darkness, the peace to the restless. He's the friend to to the lonely. He came to serve and not be served. He paid a ransom. He redeems. He restores. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of suffering. He's the friend of all. He's Jesus of the word. 
He's a reconciler. He's our faithfulness. He's our righteousness. He's our humble servant. He is the embodiment of the fullness. He is the mystery of Ephesians. He's the high priest. He's the cosmic ruler. Jesus is the king of glory. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is enduring and strong. He's internally steadfast. He is sinless, 100% man and 100% God. He forgives. He blesses. He delivers. Jesus is love. The text tells us, the text tells us that the sheep know me and I know my sheep. He knows all of you. Do you know him? He knows all of you, but do you know him? Do you know that the more names that you can call Jesus in a good light, the more that you will have him in times of need? If you don't know him and you don't know the names of him, the Bible says that they call him and they think they stop calling names about 683 names of God. You got to know him so that when you call out on the name of the Lord, you can call Jehovah Rapha. You can call my best friend. You can call my healer, my redeemer. You can call the Lord of Lords and you can have that personal relationship and he will show up directly in your situation. That's what we're talking about here. The good shepherd wants that intimate relationship. He's with you. He's guarding you. And he wants to protect you from the thief that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But if you don't know him good enough, you're going to allow the enemy to come in and create some distance in your relationship with Jesus. Does that make sense? Amen. I hope you got something out of that. Verse 15 says, Jesus is, just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. I have the sheep... I have other sheep that are not in this pen. I must bring them also. They too listen to my voice, and they shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one can take, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up. This is a command that I received from my father. A lot of times Christians... You all, myself included, we blame the Romans and the Jews. They're the ones that brought Jesus to the cross. The Romans are the ones that beat him up and we start casting blame. And it is people did kill him, but the, the Bible tells us that Jesus gave that authority away. If you look at John chapter 19, when Jesus goes before Pilate, Here's the conversation he has. Pilate's looking at Jesus. Pilate's already talked to his wife, just like my wife. My wife speaks so much spiritual wisdom over my body and over my being constantly. He goes to his wife, and his wife's like, don't mess with that Jesus guy. He's a holy man. He's a man of God. He is so, so powerfully profound. We should stay away. I had a dream, and it interprets that he is the, he's, he's God, and he's afraid. And here's what happens. Pilate says to him, do you know that I have the authority to release you and to crucify you? A Pilate still in human form is like, you know, I'm, there's no one above me in this region, right? I'm in control. What I say goes. And here's Jesus' reply, and I challenge you to read this later. It says, you have no power over me unless it was given to you from above. So the one who handed me over... To you has greater sin. And it goes on to say, Pilate was so afraid that he tried to get away from killing Jesus over the next few hours to the point where he has to wash his hands. Because he realizes at this moment, somebody speaks. Have you ever spoke with, with someone that has the authority of God in their life? 
And you're just like, wow, that was powerful. Pilate has this communication one-on-one with Jesus. And he is so blown away by the authority and the power of his voice that it says over the next few hours, he's trying to get away from this death. He's trying to do anything he can to make sure Jesus doesn't die. Look it up, John uh, 19, 20. We'll read it in a couple of months when we get there. The second part of this is interesting because he talks about you and me. Jesus has yet to die in John 10, and he's prophesying about things that are going to happen. Jesus has yet to die, but he's talking about things that are going to happen. And he's telling him, uh, I have other sheep that are not of this pen. Now, back in the day, and if you go to Israel, I've been to Israel a couple times. The Israelites, they don't really like Americans. They don't like non-Jewish people. Still today. You know, they, you know I had a dear friend, my friend Nita, she loves Israel. She loves the Jewish culture. And she goes there and she walked up to one of the Israelites one day as we were in this hotel in Jerusalem. And she's like, walks up to this person with the curly-haired locks and the black jacket. Really a, a, a Orthodox Jew. And she's like, I am praying for you and your country. And he looked at her and he goes, why? Why would you do that? And she was, she was stood back a little bit like, well, I, I thought that was a blessing to you. I, I don't need that from you. The Jewish people didn't like, and you can see in Acts several times when Peter goes and he struggles in Acts 12 to go into a Gentile house. He's never been into a house like that before. He says, I've never been into a house. I've never, ever dirtied myself enough to go into that house. They don't like that. But here Jesus is saying, there's more people that are going to be in my flock. He says, I have other people that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Listen. The voice of God is for everybody. There's enough for everybody to go around. It's your choice and, and, and the world's choice to choose to partake in that grace, partake in that mercy, and to live in that love. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for we are all one in Christ. Today, there's nothing better to hear. You know, one of the beautiful things I love about church and journey and one of the things I just love about the collection of people coming together, when you meet on Sunday morning, when you meet on Wednesday, the only thing we have in common for the most part is Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. We all like different kinds of foods. We all have different sense of humors. Some of you don't have a sense of humor at all. Yeah, thanks, bud. We know you for sure. We have different uh, amounts of money in our bank. We've been raised differently. We've had good parents. We've had bad parents. Some of us have no parents. The only thing that we have together is Jesus. And the collaboration of one voice and one spirit celebrating the one God that came into the earth makes church a powerful entity, one of the most powerful forces in the universe. Because the only thing people are to do is to worship Jesus. Not the person around us or not the cute person in the back or in the front. We're to worship Jesus. That's why church is powerful. When you come to church, you should look at the blessing of God. And why are we here? I don't even like half of you. Not me personally. That would be somebody else that says that. I love most of you. This message is for all. When you come to church and you see a church so eclectic, it's powerful. Let me close with this last verse. Somebody, who's calling me? Here's the last verse. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Does that sound like us today as a society? Division. 
It says, the Jews that heard these words were divided. Many said, he is, is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? That's the goats. The goats are struggling with this message. The parable, the allegory, they're struggling. What is this guy doing? He must be demon-possessed because what he's saying is raving mad or it's the glory of God. But there's something wrong with it. And so this is a goat lifestyle. But the other says, these are not sayings of a man possessed by demon. Can a demon open up the eyes of the blind? Chapter 9. Those are the sheep. They're listening and going, man, all the leaders of the religious Judaism, uh, Jewish people are, are pointing away from Jesus. But when you read the text, it's pointing to Jesus. Our leaders are saying he's false, but the text says he is true. And he is the one who is to come. And they're the sheep. The first converts were Jewish. And then Gentiles like you and me. And we're blessed. I want to close with this last question. Where can you see some of your goat characteristics in your life? Where can you see yourself living a goat life, separating yourself from God, creating distance? Maybe it's, you know, and I'm saying this, maybe it's the stuff you're watching. And I'm not, I don't watch Hallmark all the time. Trust me, I don't. I know it's going to shock you. But maybe it's, maybe it's the partying that you're doing that's not healthy. Maybe it's the stuff you're clicking on. Maybe it's the lusting. Maybe it's the food. Maybe it's an addiction, a drug or something. But just go around the table really quick. You don't, if you're embarrassed, just give generalities. Just saying, I got some stuff. But then what's the last part is, what can I do? What can I shed away today so that I can be more like a sheep of God? Go ahead and go. I don't want to shortcut this, but uh, it's 817 and my time was the 815. So <laughs> that's part of the reason why they don't let me teach on Wednesdays. I have trouble shutting it down a little bit. But here's the thing. I want to close with this. The Bible says nothing can separate us from the glory of God. Nothing, no demons, no angels or any of that. But our actions sometimes create false separation in our head. The things that we do, the struggles that we might have, the unforgiveness, the lack of respect, the, the, the no hope concept, the effort mentality, let's forget it. That, that creates a false distance. And that creates a goat lifestyle. You know, the text says that some that are in this room, not this particular room, but some could be in a room like this. And if the rapture came, that some would be left behind. That's because we have goat lifestyles living a false Christian life. And I'm afraid of that. We preach to that every Sunday. And we give some, every Sunday an opportunity for people to come over. Every Sunday, recommit. Or for the first time, accept. Because I'm afraid that our church... And I'm talking about the church. People are going to miss out. Let's not be goats. Let's be sheep. Will you guys all stand and let's pray. When we come before the Lord and we make a stand towards heaven, we're standing and saying, I'm for you, Lord, and nothing can be against you. I'm for you. So let's stand, let's reach to the heavens, and let's receive his glory. Father, we come before you on this Wednesday night, and we receive all that you have. We say yes to you, Lord. We say yes and amen to all that you are. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, my best friend, my redeemer, my hope, my love. Lord, we ask you to speak boldly in us and to move mightily right now. We hold our hearts up to you. We hold our life up to you and ask that you, that you bring more of you inside of us and less of the world and less of that goat life. 
We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' holy, precious name, amen. amen. Hey, thanks, you guys, for letting me be a part of tonight. <laughs>